Hello, and welcome to the Doctors Washington Podcast. On this episode of the story, we will get personal with Dr. Kimberly on her life, dreams, and aspirations. Dr. Kimberly is a general surgeon specializing in hepatopancreatico biliary surgery. She completed residency training in 2014, then went into private practice general surgery in Arlington, Texas. After being in practice for six years, she decided to go back to training to learn complex surgical management of liver, pancreas, and bowel duct diseases. She is currently in training at Oregon Health and Science University in Portland, Oregon. Dr. Kimberly, it is uncommon to go back to training after being in practice. So what drove you to make this change? I joke and say it was a midlife crisis, but (laughs) um, I was always interested in liver, pancreas, and bile ducts surgery. But my experience in it or my exposure to it came um, about my fifth year in residency, which is our last year. So at that point, it was a little too late in the game to switch gears. I had already accepted my job in Arlington, and then I had an experience on rotate on a rotation with a surgeon who does these types of procedures. So I was sort of already on a trajectory to go into general surgery, and I just continued on that trajectory, thinking that I would be fine. It's not something that I'll you know miss doing because I had all these other types of things that I could do within general surgery anyway. Well, once I got into practice, I, I would randomly get patients with bile duct disease, complex gallbladder diseases, liver diseases, pancreas diseases, which I was not, I didn't, I didn't feel comfortable enough to manage myself. And so I had to refer those patients to other, other surgeons. And I really didn't like doing that. I wanted to take care of those patients because I knew it was something I was interested in. And then on top of that, um, a very close aunt um, passed away from pancreatic cancer which sort of jolted me into realizing that, you know, what was I waiting for? I was about four years into practice at that point. And I figured, you know, it's now or never. At some point, I'm just going to get too old for this. <laughs> so I um, started down the path looking for mentors in order to get me to the next step that I wanted to get to. So those things kind of drove me towards the field of hepatobiliary surgery. And um, so far, things have been going great. We can check back later to let you know how things are going. Dr. Kimberly, what would you tell a woman, more specifically a Black woman, who is interested in going into surgery as a career? Choose wisely, is what I say. Not in a discouraging way, but just be sure that this is something that you want. Um, I was given some encouragement, and I was given some discouragement into going into uh, the field of surgery. I'll start with the discouragement because that's just the way I think. The discouragement that I remember hearing was that, you know, this would be a field that's difficult to be in and have a family, since the assumption is that every woman will get married and have children, which I think is not totally realistic for our our day and age. But it is an assumption that people make. And so you may hear that. So I I warn you against that and be prepared for whatever response you'll have for that. Also, I was told that, you know, the the training will be rigorous and maybe it was too much for a woman to go through the hours, the long hours, the standing for long hours. And honestly, to that, I would say that, you know, whatever men can do, women can do better. 
And <laughs> I think that um, really drove me to continue down that path. Some of the encouragement I got was that if this is something that you really want to do, then why not go for it? Let someone else close the door on it rather than you closing it yourself. And so I've done that a lot in life is whenever I wanted to, to make a move or do this or do that, even in going into fellowship, I decided that I would apply and I would really um, put myself forward for it. And I would let someone else close that door and I wouldn't do it for myself by not applying. And so I would say that as a, as an encouragement for you, but really make an assessment. Be sure this is something you want to do when you're in third year, fourth year medical school, and you're going through rotations. Just make sure that you enjoy getting up to go to the hospital during your surgery rotation. If it's a drag for you to get out of bed, honey, that's not for you. And so think about those sorts of things. The things you have the most interest in are the things that you will easily get up in order to go do. It's, it's exciting for you. It's something that doesn't feel like a burden, particularly when you're that early in your experience of it. Dr. Kimberly, tell us about some of the struggles you had on your journey to becoming a surgeon. I would say the first struggle was making a decision um, to go into surgery. Because of all the things I just said, um, the discouragements and the encouragements, um, I really, it was really a difficult decision. And surprisingly for some people who are surgeons who may listen to this or, um, or who, are, who are internists who may listen to this, those were the two things that I decided between was general surgery, internal medicine. And that's unusual because for some reason, um, those personalities don't tend to mix in one person. But I really enjoyed internal medicine. I had a, I had a, a attending in internal medicine in uh, third year who really encouraged us to learn. Like he wanted us to learn and he had a, a gift um, of encouraging medical students to go out and read more and learn more about the things they were seeing every day. And I enjoyed that. Then I went on to have another medicine attending who was not like that at all. And then, you know, before that experience, I did a surgery rotation and I just absolutely loved it. Now, granted, that surgery rotation was the first rotation of medical school, of my third year medical school. So this is my first time in a hospital. And I, I really debated whether that tainted my view on surgery was I was just now getting my feet wet and what I actually wanted to do. Maybe that's the reason why I wanted to go into surgery. And I really debated it. I did a couple of additional medical medicine uh, rotations um, at the end of third year and beginning of fourth year, as well as some surgery rotations to see if this was if this was consistent. Did I still want to do it even after doing OB and neurology and all of that? And I really did. And so the first struggle was just making the decision. It took me until about a month or two months prior to um, the match application opening before I really made the decision to just go for it. Once that decision was made, it was no turning back at that point. And so that was, that was my first struggle. I would say the next biggest hurdle came not so much my first year of residency, which a lot of people will cite as their, their biggest hurdle, um, that intern year where you're just thrown in, like, you know, into a pack of wolves, it seems. It, it wasn't that year. It was actually closer to my fourth year because of the way our program was designed, the operative experience was top heavy is what we call it. So you did most of your operative experience in the fourth and fifth year. 
So at that point, at around fourth year is, you know, when it was, you know, you, you had to do it or you had to, you had to go bye-bye. And I was just getting into the experience of being in the operating room and actually doing the cases and needing to know how to do the cases. And the question was, can you be, can you be technically very skilled and can you be a leader? Because those, those were two things that were required as a surgeon. I know in some other countries and in other cultures, you know, anesthesia may run their operating room, et cetera. But here in America, the surgeon really runs that OR. And so can you, can you step up to the plate of a leader in an environment that can be pretty high tense, you know, um, environment? And it took several months for me to get comfortable with asking for instruments and not always saying please, particularly when I needed things urgently to really grab hold of uh, controlling the OR, particularly when things got a little bit more testy. And of course, I got better at that as I was in practice and I was the only surgeon in the operating room as opposed to being in residency when there was an attending and or another resident in the OR. So those were two, uh, two major struggles during my, my training. But then once I left training and was in practice, that came a whole nother level of struggles. Challenges including building a practice, drawing patients to that practice, and getting primary care providers to refer patients to you. This was a whole nother thing that wasn't at all described and explained to us in training mainly because of the different practice models that you could potentially go into. Um, but the one that I chose to enter was just something outside of what um, a lot of academic surgeons would, would typically teach about, or, and a lot of times have never really had an experience with themselves. And so that created a, a whole other learning curve that I had to improve upon. And it took about a year, year and a half for me to really settle in. So that, that was another struggle and another challenge that came along. And then I had the midlife crisis that took me back into, um, into fellowship training. And so now after being in practice for six years and being the boss, I became not the boss <laughs> anymore. And so that's another struggle. The struggle of being humble enough to, to be taught is a daily struggle and to be able to learn new techniques after you've become comfortable with the techniques you already know is another struggle as well. So there's, it seems that every step of the pathway, there's some challenge that comes along with it. And these just characterize some of the larger struggles from medical school onward to where I am currently. Dr. Kimberly, we all have the very memorable patient encounters What were some of the most memorable patient stories that have encouraged you to continue on your journey, even through the hard times? In my practice, I've had memorable patients as well as in my training. I'll start with my training experience. So a couple of the patients that I experienced in training weren't the best memories, but they actually taught me something. One was a patient that I remember vividly um, when I was on trauma. It was a young girl who was in a car accident, a really bad car accident with a few other people. Um, And she came in, you know, in pretty bad shape. 
And we were working, doing what we could in order to save her life, but she ultimately didn't survive that day in our trauma bay. And as the resident on the service, my role was to, along with our attendings, tell the family that a family member had passed away uh, from this this accident. Her parents um, arrived and uh, was taken into a small room where we could explain that to him. And when we told him uh, what happened to his young daughter, he just fell apart. And honestly, I'll say that the reason why that experience was so memorable is because it really, I, it really made what I was doing very real. Not that a patient hadn't died before, they had. But for some reason, this particular patient in this particular circumstance just shook me to my core. And it made me realize that what I do on a daily basis is life and death, that it affects people. And it's not something that you can go around and play with and try new things. Like, this isn't what we do. We, we do evidence-based medicine. That's what we do. Everything that we could potentially do in order to save a life is what we do. And so the reason why that patient experience was memorable is that it, it shook me into realizing just how much weight our job carries. That was one very, very memorable Um, patient. The second patient in residency that was memorable, and again, these aren't the greatest (laughs) stories, but they're mine. So um, the the second one was um, an older patient. He could have been in his 60s or 70s. I can't remember the exact age. And he came in with appendicitis. I was the chief resident on call, which means that I was the highest level resident there that night. And the intern, who just so happened to be a white male, um, went down to see the patient first because that's how things work. He goes down, sees the patient. He gets all the information. He comes back and he reports to me. And that's our way of teaching. Uh, Make sure he knows what's going on. He tells me what the plan should be. And then we move forward from there. So he does that, uh, gets the right diagnosis, has the correct plan. I accompany him back to the emergency room to see this patient. And I walk in and begin talking to uh, the patient and his wife. When I entered the room, they really, the attitude was strange and I couldn't quite put my finger on it, but they were very outspoken within a few moments that allowed it to be pretty obvious what was going on. The patient said, you know, is there another doctor that can take care of me? And I was thinking, well, we're the only surgery team at this hospital. So I don't know, is there you know, a specific surgeon that you were looking for. And he said, well, I don't want to be treated by a black person. And I was a little shocked initially. And I had to, you know, get my answer right um, prior to responding. But I responded to him explaining that we were the only surgery team um, at this hospital. And obviously we were here to take care of him. If he doesn't feel comfortable being cared for here, then, you know, there are other hospitals in the, in the city in order to pursue care. However, um, if, he was, if he wanted to stay here, we would be more than happy to take care of him, just like we would any other patient. And I allowed him and his wife to discuss that um, with us, you know, telling him that we would come back and kind of see where he and his family landed on that. Um, he later decided to continue uh, at that facility, and I removed his appendix um, without event. 
and him and his wife were very thankful afterwards. But it was really my first experience with um, racism in healthcare, um, particularly as it relates directly to me. And so that was, I'm sure a lot of African-American males and females can relate um, to similar experiences, but it really um, made me realize just how pervasive racism was in our society. And so uh, those were two patients that don't have the greatest stories, but they were, they taught me something. Um, In practice, on the other hand, I can remember one patient who, and this is in line with what I ended up doing. Um, These were around the time that I made this decision to go back into training. Um, A a middle-aged lady came in with acute cholecystitis, meaning her gallbladder was inflamed. And I saw her in the emergency department and um, discussed with her kind of the plan that she would need her gallbladder removed. And she was completely fine with that because she was in so much pain. So I took her back to the operating room and removed her gallbladder. About a week later, I got a pathology uh, report and a call from the pathologist saying that they see gallbladder cancer in her um, gallbladder. Now, this isn't, it's most common for us to find gallbladder cancers when we're removing your gallbladder thinking it's just inflamed. So that's not unusual. Um, And there wasn't anything unusual about her imaging that made me concerned about her having gallbladder cancer prior to. And so then came the process of getting her to someone who could do the the, uh, next operation she would need in order to remove part of her liver um, to clear her from her gallbladder cancer. I referred her to that surgeon who did her operation. I saw her after that operation. She was doing great. She needed chemotherapy. And so I placed a a port in her for the chemotherapy. And after that, she did great. I didn't hear from her for about four years and actually recently got a call from a surgeon who's planning to take her port out saying that she's doing great with no evidence of, of recurrence of her cancer, which is amazing for gallbladder cancer, particularly at the stage where she was. So it's an encouragement. It's like you did something good. There was a patient who could have died of a cancer and you helped mitigate that. And that feels great. Similar fashion, I have patients similar to that in in residency as well. And those patients keep you going. I'll have to say that I've met patients who have done all types of things in life. They have stories that are out of this world. (laughs) And I'll say that's one thing that my first partner taught me is to take the time to listen to your patients, to talk to them, to ask them about their lives, because you'll really learn so much about just the, the amazing things that happen that has happened in people's lives. And people tell doctors everything about themselves. They, it's like, a, it's like a, an open door. I mean, anything you want to know, they'll tell a doctor that, which is unbelievable to me. But it's, it's really been an encouragement to get letters from patients that say thank you and how much you've impacted them. Um, to get cards, um, to get hugs, prior to COVID, of course, um, get hugs from patients just because they're thankful. And it's it's been a great journey in that regard. I think those are great stories that highlight some of the things that you've learned in your career and uh, really about yourself. But since I grew up with you, I know you're on a different level. The characteristics I admire most about you are really your determination, your boldness, and your ability to 
just call it like it is and really go forward with your plan. I think that really shows dedication and uh, perseverance, especially in a in a career field like surgery, where, as you mentioned, there are really some strong personality types out there. And I feel like you definitely fit the mold. So likewise, you know, I certainly agree with everything that Dr. Jasmine said. I think that for you, the one thing that I really admire is that you don't let other people tell you what you can't do. That is something that I learned about you very early on. I remember that. Because um, I even, didn't let you tell me. What that, I could that's do. true. Okay, that's true. Okay. But okay. Um, in in life and in like in your professional career, you don't let people tell you what you can't do. You don't let other people limit you. And, and that was an encouragement for me. You know, I remember, and I think we may have talked about it on a previous episode where one of your teachers or counselors said they didn't think you wanted to be a doctor. They didn't think you were cut out to be a doctor. Let me uh, clarify that. And I remember that I was extremely upset about that. And you were like, it's cool. I'm going to show her. And, you know, that's really been your attitude throughout life. When somebody tells you you can't do that, uh, you do it just to prove them wrong. And I think that that serves you well. I think that you have accomplished so much in life by uh, taking that on and and really embodying that. So um, that's one of the things that I really admire about you. So, Dr. Kimberly, you've talked to us a lot about, you know, your life, your career, things that have been encouraging for you. Tell me where you see your career going in the future. Like, what's your five, 10-year goal? Well, I'll be honest. I probably could have been a surgeon general in 10 years if I hadn't had this this midlife crisis. (laughs) Just kidding. No, I... um, I would say five years from now, I would hope to be in a in a growing uh, practice in hepatobiliary surgery in a city that, you know, will allow my practice to grow um, with a group that I enjoy operating with. I enjoy working with and um, known within my region or within or nationally in my field or at least getting there um, possibly in 10 years. I'd like to see myself on track um, towards moving moving towards associate and full professor at a university um, in the Department of Surgery. I'd also like to see myself on a trajectory towards more higher administrative role within my department, um, whether that be within the Department of Surgery or within the School of Medicine. So my, my aspirations are to maintain my role within clinical practice until I'm ready to retire and then just move along um, within my department, whether that be at the same institution or at another institution. So I don't have high and mighty goals to be the president of the world, but I do have aspirations to move upward within the field of HPV surgery and be known nationally, if not internationally, for what I do. Well, thank you, Dr. Kimberly, for really telling us about your life, your dreams, your goals for the future. And thank you for thank you all for taking the time to listen to our episode highlighting the life of Dr. Kimberly Washington. Please join us on our next weekly Wednesday episode to learn more about our journey, tips to success in a healthcare career, and to learn about various health topics. Until next time.
The music on the Doctors Washington podcast is by artist Mike Burton. He's a Jackson, Mississippi native. On his album, Soulful, and the track is entitled All Right. It is available on iTunes. I believe that it's going-